Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense, Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Blog Talk Radio. time the season passed when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday fighting for one more first down one more yard gain one final score which were being bricked after 60 minutes of battle on, on the gridiron tonight we'll explore the world of gridiron great welcome to gridiron great football history and its memorabilia on the gridiron greats publishing and broadcasting network in conjunction with Swick Enterprises, and we're live from the Southport, North Carolina home of Gridiron Greats Magazine. I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats Magazine is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 150-plus years of football history and memorabilia, and you can find us on the web at Gridiron Greats Magazine. I'd like to introduce my co-host. He's a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian, specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawks items, in particular Steve Larger. He hails from Portland, Oregon. Mr. Joe Spurs. Joe, welcome to the show. Hey, good to be back, Captain. Good to be back. And I, I could say this, it's good to be back home after going to the National for yes. a very, very long convention, all five days. Very interesting. Very interesting. Thank you for the show. updates. It, it was really, it, it always makes me feel good when I can't make a natty. Um You know, when friends like you are sending me pictures of just what's going on, I got a few pictures you know, the VFC dinner that, you know, that Jeff put on, uh, just really, it's always fun just to get, get, get good updates from friends. It was, uh, it was definitely interesting. Um, and I got to say this, I honestly thought, and I, and we're going to, we're going to do a complete show on the national and my report on it over the next few weeks, but just a couple real quick points. I want to make about the Nationals. I have never seen in my life at a show 
the sheer volume of slapped cards like I saw at this show. And I never saw so many young people, older people, with these little, for lack of a better term, briefcases where they put all their cards in. So besides their backpacks, they're walking up and down the aisles with these little card um, carriers. And naturally, when they get to the table, where do you put the card carrier? You know what I mean? So they either plop it on the, the display case or they're going to put it on the ground, so on and so forth. I, I was just fascinated watching everybody do this. I mean, it was just, it was truly amazing to me to see. And, uh, again, this was my first show in three years, so it's been a while. I, have, I, I just cannot believe, and I'm just going to leave it, leave it at, at this, I just cannot believe the explosion in graded cards. It's just mind-boggling to me, truly mind-boggling. Yeah. So what what you're saying is but there I'm, just wasn't a lot of raw, loose cards. It was just more slabbed. And, uh, and I heard from somebody else there was a lot of people just walking around with their, you know, shiny, graded stuff, just saying, I want 5000 for that, you know, just just having the price in mind, just going from booth to booth. Exactly. That's basically what was going on. I mean, I, I had two customers that came to the table they were very pleased to see some old vintage football raw uh you know in VGXEX condition that they could help fill their sets with and it, what i what i found very interesting i pretty much sold off all my ungraded raw football that i i brought i mean i didn't bring a lot but i did bring some and two collectors in particular bought most of them they were very happy finishing you know helping to finish their sets and then they would ask, hmm. you know, any other any other dealers here that have raw cards? And I, I know um, there were a couple of dealers I sent them to. Um, and again, there were just a handful of raw raw uh, card dealers there. Everything was was shiny, graded twelves or whatever they are. And uh, it was just I was just shocked by it. Let me put it that way. I was shocked by that. Huh. But in any, uh, how did you do? Did you uh, how did you do at the at the Natty? Did you get a lot of uh, uh, a lot of new subscribers? How how was activity? Well, it was it was very busy, with the exception of Sunday. And Sunday, I really thought it was going to be a lot busier than what it was. Sunday, I basically packed up around three o'clock. Most of the show was was pretty much broken down by that time, and I got out of there at four o'clock. Um, I passed out a numerous amount of. Uh, the last issue of GG, number 77. And I don't comment on it until a full four weeks pass, and then I will give you the updates as far as how many new subscribers we got, so on and so forth. Okay. So uh, it was very, very interesting because uh, a lot of the football people, um, I know who our, our you know, subscribers are, and they would introduce, reintroduce themselves or whatever, but a lot of the new people that I gave it to, um, they were kind of surprised to see the magazine, never heard of it, blah, 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 the whole, the whole bit. So uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I, I, I really believe becoming rarer and rarer in sports memorabilia. And the one thing I did notice was I had a lot of people asking me about tickets, if I had any tickets for sale. And I did have some, but they were not the tickets they were looking for. So it was interesting, very interesting. Oh. But we had the national issue, and it was very well received. And I'm going to throw throw the magazine to you with one comment. The, the one 
article we got the most comments on was why I collect. And that was basically from subscribers and some of the new people who read the magazine at Atlantic City. So I'll hand off to you. Yeah, first um, of all, the tip of the hat to uh, to Jared for the you know for the cover there with, with uh, you know Roger Staubach. Just I love it. Um, I, I I really enjoy those because uh, I I still have the uh, Steve Largent cover. You know the artwork, the original artwork Jared did from that that I have hanging in my office. Um, your your super collector for Brian Adams uh, was amazing. Uh, he's shown us his collection before, obviously a very passionate collector when it comes to, you know, uh, you know, Cowboys ring of honor players, uh, very high end mm-hmm. collector. I loved, I loved his, uh, you know, your, your opening, you know, landing page there on the, you know, you know, on the main page where it's just all of his stuff, just all of his binders opened up and just amazing. Uh, it's, it's one thing us collectors are that we we share a you know share a commonality with it. We're passionate about our things, but yeah, I'll admit um, when you first the, the why I collect article was amazing, um, and when you first uh, reached when you first reached out to me and asked you know hey would you mind writing that I was like yeah, um, and. Uh, it, it's uh, I, I don't know how you write. It'd be interesting to find what people's writing style is, but you know, I tend to write something, email it to myself, let it sit, uh, you know, do it again, and just kind of you know noodle on it a few times. And uh, I, I, w- I just told my kids, you know, your sense of smell is the strongest, and you associate certain things, certain smells with certain memories. And I literally mentioned to them, like. Check this out. I, I keep a I keep a, a a coffee mug full of striped NFL pencils on my desk, and every once in a while, probably every couple <laughs> cool. of weeks, I'll pull a few out and smell them, and they smell like them. Yep. I have them right here. You can hear them because I'm I'm doing the uh, the show in my office. They smell like my childhood, and it's the same mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. wax packs with wax wax packs. Excuse me. Uh, you know, you hold it up to your to your your woofer and. Uh, Man, you know the bubble gum in there—it just brings back a flood of memories of you know childhood of ripping wax, of popping the gum in your mouth, and smacking and chewing it loudly while you're going, "Oh, Terry Bradshaw, check it out." I don't know. And yep. it, it, I loved reading everybody else's why I collect because everybody took it very seriously, uh, which I really enjoyed, and really dug deep and got into the to the why. I don't know. I really liked it. It was uh, it was well done, and I liked that uh, that you contributed as well. I, I really liked your story. I, I I knew a lot of it. Your sixty five tops, your sixty five Philly, but it was still good to read yours. Uh, it was just really cool. Thank Jared's you. was amazing. All of us share the same thread, isn't it? We we got into it about the same time. You've got a couple years on us, and walk away from it, and uh, came back to it at some point. I don't know. Exactly. Just really good. And, and, a, and a very good topic. What made you think of this as a topic? Well, I, I you know, I'm, I'm always concerned in the back of my mind, where's the hobby going? And, again, I'm going to talk a little bit about that with the National. But where where is it going? Are we collecting? What are we doing? Are we just buying, selling commodities and plastic now? Or are we, you know, what are, what are we actually doing in the hobby? Why do you, Why do we collect? And as somebody who's collected all my life, and I, and I mentioned all the different things that I collect, and I still collect different things, 
You know, I still have my coin collection. I still have my milk bottle collection. I still love postcards. Uh, why do we collect? You know, what is, what is what is the 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 thread that's common to all of us? We enjoy it. Yeah. We look at it as relaxation. I don't care what anyone says. We look at it as something fun. It's not a job. It's it's a way to you know relieve stress. It's a way to to enjoy yourself, learn about something you don't know about. Uh, you enjoy. We all enjoy football, so we enjoy that that niche of collecting these different items in football, and and that's what makes the hobby great. And I I just I want to see that spark again with the younger people that you know it's it's okay if you don't yeah. have a PSA ten. Tom Brady card, you know, if you have a raw Tom Brady card in your hand, it's okay. That's a nice card. Enjoy it type of thing. So uh, I think, I think that's why I wanted to express it. And I wanted to make sure that article was seen by the biggest readership we have, which is traditionally national because I publish a lot of extra issues at the national and we give them out, sell them at discounted rates, so on and so forth. So hopefully something, you know, something turns from it, returns from it, in the long run. And that's, that's what, you know, my hope is with regards to the hobby. And again, you know, you're asking me, that was probably one of the more difficult articles I've written over the years because I started and stopped it several times and I just couldn't figure out which way I was going to go. And then I just said, well, I'm just going to write the way I feel. You know, I enjoy collecting. I thoroughly enjoy collecting. If you met my sister, she thoroughly enjoys collecting, even though her collections are, you know, very much different than mine. You know, we grew up in a collecting family. My father collected coins literally up to a month before he passed away. So uh, it's, mm. you know, it's it's Im- embedded in, especially my generation, more so than the younger generations, we like things. We we enjoy seeing stuff on the wall. We like hanging up prints, uh, paintings, things of that nature, you know, objects. We enjoy it. We enjoy looking at them. And we don't like the bareness. We like we like libraries. I, you know, I'm I'm doing it, doing the show here in my uh, man cave office here. I have a large football <laughs> library. I'm just staring at right now, you know. And that to me is part of a home. And we have a we have a library downstairs too. But somebody, you know, somebody today everything's done online, so on and so forth. I still like reading a yeah. physical book. I still like reading a physical newspaper type of thing. So that's basically yeah. why I, I I wrote I suggested it and why I wrote what I wrote and I really think it was very well received and uh it's, it's gonna be tough it's gonna be tough to top it, but you know, I got a couple other ideas down the road with regards to it. So anyways, long story short, I got a lot of comments on it, which is very, very nice. I'm I'm glad I'm glad uh, people appreciated it. And especially our older readers understood uh, what I was saying with regards to collecting and how we, you know, why we collected things, so on and so forth. Uh, Martin Jacobs is a classic example. He's in his late seventies now. Yeah. He's still collecting. He's still got an incredible yep. collection. That's, that's 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 a cool thing. That's really cool. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned. All right, our uh, yeah. special guest is here, and I don't want to keep him waiting any longer. And I want to introduce him to our. Listening audience, he was on a few weeks ago um, talking about the changes with Jim Thorpe and his Olympic reinstatement. He is, again, 
well known to our listeners and our yep. readers of Gridiron Greats Magazine. He has an incredible collection of Jim Thorpe cards and memorabilia. And he hails from Oklahoma. And again, I'd like to welcome to our show, Mike Driscoll. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you, Captain and Joe. Appreciate you having me back <laughs> on and uh, kind of starting to feel like a regular. <laughs> you'll be, you'll well, be co-hosting in no time, Mike. <laughs> after after really? the last show, after the last show, I told Joe we got to get you back on to finish the story because it was, it was, you know, we ran out of time. I also had a couple of listeners asking me, "Are you going to come back on to?" you know, talk about your collection, so on and so forth. So that's why uh, you're back on now. Um, I had the national break there in between, so I couldn't get you on right away afterwards. So let's give it a couple of weeks uh, to digest everything yeah. and go forward. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead off. I want you to pick up where you left off before and what you wanted to continue to discuss to finish the story on the uh, Olympics. Okay, sounds great. Um before I get going, I thought I'd convey a little story that uh, you might find interesting, uh, especially Joe. In uh, 1931, in a small community outside of Oklahoma City, there was a fairly new high school that couldn't get enough boys to participate in the game of football in order to uh, build a team at the school. In fact, girls' basketball was the big sport at the school. So school officials wanted to fill the football team so badly that they reached out to a certain person to be their football coach, and he accepted, and and he was able to jumpstart the football program. The school was Putnam City High School. Coach was Jim Thorpe. And what year was Joe, that? who's the most famous alumnus of Putnam City High School? Putnam City High Steve School. Larkin. Oh my gosh! Um, wow, Grange? It's Grange, isn't it? No, Steve Largent is the most. Uh, oh my god! Famous <laughs> alumnus of uh, no. Putnam City High School, and Jim Thorpe is the one who. Uh, Jim started the program, football program. Oh, my gosh, in Oklahoma. Never mind, uh, Grange's <laughs> high school. Never mind, I got it mixed up with Grange's. Oh, you put me on the spot. That's incredible. What year was that, <laughs> that, uh, that Thorpe did that? That was 1931. Incredible. The school, Joe, I'm the school had started Joe, in 1919 surprised. and couldn't build a football team. So You're going to laugh at this, Bob. Out. I actually have. Uh, I actually have a Steve Largent uh, yearbook from that. I, I I should know that. I guess I'm I'm not used to being put on the spot by our guests. So <laughs> I thought you'd like. That. When did when did Largent of, when did Largent graduate graduate high school? So like 1970 71 around uh, that time. I believe uh, I, I believe 72. Uh, 72. Years, okay. 72. All right. Yeah, I, I believe. I, okay. uh, I I would have to confirm that. Yes. Yeah. Like, you know, you're going to laugh at uh, guys. I'm, I'm a large fan, but I'm not like that guy who's got a large tattoo on my forearm. You know, I. <laughs> <laughs> he actually graduated with a, a pro basketball player by the name of Alvin Adams. And 
a pro baseball player by the name of Bob Shirley. They were all in the same graduating class out of Petram City High School. What the hell was in the water? (laughs) Really? (laughs) But I digress there. Um, Like I say, I'll start with uh, what probably led to uh, the story breaking that uh, led to the events the quick 10 days from breaking of the story of Thor being disqualified and his Olympic glory lost. Then then I'll visit quickly about why it probably happened so fast and then lastly, quickly wrap it up. So, in starting with what many thought led to a reporter, Roy Johnson, he's the one who broke the story and finding out about Thor playing of course, which ultimately led to uh, Thorpe's disqualification. Um, I have a newspaper article, August 9th, 1912, that reports that Thorpe had already signed a pitch for Pittsburgh Pirates, and the club was expecting him to report in early spring. Now, this was August 1912, but instead... Thorpe had gone back to Carlisle in fall 1912 to play football, and which obviously he retained his amateur status, and Pittsburgh felt he was now hedging on joining the team. So a Pittsburgh Pirates scout tipped off Roy Johnson. Now, this theory was substantiated by Pop Warner and Christy Matchesley. Warner said publicly that Thorpe's outing was due to a carefully planned plot by the Pirates to force Thorpe to turn pro. Christy Matthewson agreed in an article that he wrote, pointing out that a Pittsburgh Pirate scout was responsible for revealing that Thorpe had played baseball in order for Thorpe to have to report to the team, and it would also give valuable advertising to the scout. So you've got a disgruntled and uh, organization that felt like Thorpe should be uh, reporting to uh, their organization, yet he's still yeah. enrolled at Carlisle. Huh. So, wow. You know, you, you, and first of all, Mike, uh, you know, not – there's not many topics that require us to have, uh, you know, a part one and a part two, but, you know, I mean, this is such a good topic. I mean, it's something that's near and dear to my heart, obviously. Um, so, I mean, it's, uh, you know, you mentioned in the last go that, you know, Thorpe was not mad. He forgave the, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the uh, journalist who, you know, who, who did this. Yeah, that, that's that. Okay, so you, you know, but yeah, just now just you're felt, saying he they, just they felt like he was doing his and, job. Yeah, so but they might have done this to try and force him to actually show up. Yes, and that's what the speculation was that uh, it would uh, expose him as a pro instead of an amateur, so he'd have to give up his amateur status force him to turn pro. The only pro sport at the time is baseball, and so he'd have to be forced to report to them. Hmm. So the 
10-day timeline. January 22nd, the story broke. Three days later, on the 25th, she was charged. And even before an investigation, Sullivan declared that day that if Thorpe was found guilty, the trophies will be returned and his records erased from the books. Now, that's Uh, on the 25th. The very next day, now you're talking about all the way from Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, and trying to get information out of the South. The very next day, hard evidence surfaced a Thorpe plane in Carolina League, and he signed he a signed letter is received by Sullivan from Warner, which included Thorpe's admission of playing pro baseball. This is the one that. Guess Welch, under oath during the congressional investigation, swore it was written by Warner and Carlisle Superintendent Friedman. So in just one day before an investigation started, the following day, they're receiving hard evidence, supposedly, and a letter from Thorpe admitting. Leads us into, a, you know, kind of a conspiracy situation that uh, we yeah. many of us think obviously, of. Obviously very premeditated to have that kind of information but, locked Thank and you. Loaded. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Um, you know. A lot of people thought it was premeditated. On the 28th, January 28th, AAU declared Thorpe a professional. On the 30th, Warner and others took Thorpe's trophies and Olympic medals and all other medals he had won from 1909 the present and turn them over to Sullivan. On February February 1, he's signing with the Giants. So in 10 days from the day the story broke to being accused, convicted, and stripped of Olympic glory, it begs the question, why the hasty quick action? Did Sullivan and Warner know about him playing baseball and hastily get it all done so that further investigation into the matter and their associations, which were financial empires, be thwarted. Because both were known to be micromanagers of their athletes. Yeah. So for many, it was hard to believe that they didn't know where and what Jim was doing during every athletic season that came along. And, you know, at the very least, when uh, uh, Albert Eckstendine found Thorpe playing pro baseball in Oklahoma for the Anadarko champions. When when Warner sent him to Oklahoma to try to talk Thorpe into going back to Carlisle in 1911, that alone should have prevented Warner from allowing Thorpe to sign his amateur card and sending it to Sullivan because that's where Albert Eckstendine found him. He was playing pro baseball in Oklahoma. Well, and you've mentioned before, everybody did this. It's just yes. Forbes did it yes. under his real name. You know? Yes. No, um, you know, a, a quick a quick work of the situation would have also helped hide the fact that Sullivan was circumventing the Swedish Olympic Committee, who actually had the authority to adjudicate any challenge to the Olympic event. It was not Sullivan's job. Plus, we all know the time limit was passed. Yeah. Like you, and yeah, we you know, found, that, that found the rule book, you know, yeah. stuffed away. 
We know that the Swedish Olympic Committee was in disbelief at this point. So doing it quickly, people felt it was... How do you, and how do you know that? I've, Mike, how do you know that? I've actually never even thought about that. What did the, what did the Swedes, what did, they, you know, what did King Gustav, who said you're the greatest athlete in the world, what did, what did, the, what did the king think? They sent correspondence to the IOC that the rules disallowed and that they had already had a meeting and that the according to the rules the time limit was up and the awards and prizes were and that they could not do anything about it and that they felt like uh, they were being forced upon and that the Swedish Olympic Committee had has nothing to do with any of this. This is the AAU. There's correspondence between the Swedish Olympic Committee and the ILC stating this specifically. Huh. Yeah. So the, the so the Swedish Olympic Committee stated it's past the time frame. You can't yeah. do this. Uh, and and basically that got ignored this was pushed through Thorpe got railroaded down the people who should have stuck up for him you know you know you know Pop Warner etc the the people who should have been there to support him basically threw their hands up and sold him down the river this this. What do you think so, of Pop Warner? I, I, I think I think you and I touched on this in the last show, but what do you what's your opinion of Pop Warner? When I started finding this stuff out, you know, years ago, it's like, well, what the hell? You know, here's a you know here's a you know a white man in power who could stand up for a, a Native American, you know, who's practically you know you know you know called him his son a few times. I mean, he could have he, he could have one person could have stopped this. You know, it's kind of like a riot, you know. And he didn't, and I, that that forever scarred Pop Warner to me. And then hearing you talk about it just kind of brought up all the memories. I'm like, God, this guy was a bastard. Well, let's put it this way: his within a year he was Carlisle, and his his very last job, his very last coaching football coaching job, was at the game against Pitt. He was talking to the pit coaches and administration about a job there. Interesting. I didn't know that. And yes, and he took the job. So you tell me what kind of person that is. Now, okay. Again, it does not. Never... It does not take away from uh, his contribution to the game of football in in any way whatsoever, but. He knew he was leaving, and so he's talking to Pitt officials about a job there. And that's where he ended up. I've never followed much on uh, Pop Warner, so I actually didn't know that he only lasted another year at Carlisle. That's interesting. Yes. Yep. What's your opinion of him? I just said I think oh. the guy's a bastard. Uh, he's a, he's he's, a, he's an evil conspirator in this. Um, I'm not a fan. What, what's your thoughts? I think if Sullivan, think if Warner would have gone to Sullivan and said, "Listen, we're not going to do this. 
I am not a part of it. I support Thorpe. Everybody else supports Thorpe. And I I know stuff on you. You know stuff on me. We're going to stand behind Thorpe or I'm exposing everything. I think Golden would have caved. But I think they wow. both face their own height. And I don't have much... Okay. Uh, um, I don't have much um, to think about nicely about people who do that kind of things, saving their own hide and throwing other people to the wolves. Too short to uh, act like that. So the one person who could have stopped the whole thing, who uh, whose entire career, the only reason we know the name Pop Warner to this day is because of Jim Thorpe at Carlisle. So the, the yeah. person who put Pop Warner on the map, the person who made Pop Warner the football genius that he supposedly was, uh, d- did not defend the person who put him there you know, when he needed him the most. Yeah. It's interesting. Did, did you know much of this, Bob? I know bits and pieces of it. I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the, the complete story. And to what you were uh, uh, referring to about Pop Warner in the New Haven, Connecticut area, Pop Warner is like a legend. Um, yes. You know, Yale, Yale football, so on and so forth. And, and you know, as, a, as the years went on and I started, you know, seeing reading more about Thorpe and what happened and the, the tie-in with Warner and so on and so forth. I was saying to myself, I don't think this guy was really legitimate, nor was he, you know, looking out for, for Thorpe's best interest. I think Mike explained it the best way that, you know, he was probably trying to support him in his own way, but everything just, just uh, unraveled on them because they had so much on each other and therefore it created a, created the problem but man oh man i mean it, it really that i'm just floored by how quickly everything transpired for thorpe especially with the baseball stuff and like as mike mentioned 10 day a 10 day time frame where everything collapsed on it i mean it's just it's it's shocking to me just truly shocking it's so sad Yeah, the timeline yeah. yeah yeah i mean for a man of that kind of athletic proportions, uh, you know, a, a, a true genius of an athlete as far as his skills were concerned. And then he gets treated like that. It's, it's, it's so pathetic. It's so sad. It's not even funny. It really isn't. It really isn't. And Mike, I, I really, I'm very thankful, you know, you have all this information that could be made that has been made public so that yeah. you know, re- readers and and listeners can can make their own determinations, you know, of what really happened and why did it take so long for everything to, you know, to get rectified? It's crazy, truly crazy, for sure. So unbelievable. Kind of yeah. wrapping it up. Kind of wrapping it up. Uh, yeah, go- Sullivan, wow. you know, stripped Thorpe of his amateur status and informed the Swedish Olympic Committee and IOC that Thorpe had forfeited his prizes and they were on their way. Official Olympic report, it states that although the IOC and Swedish Olympic Committee knew that there was no basis for challenging the results at this point, 
that the USA AAU headed by Sullivan had presented them with an already decided and irreversible case, so they had no choice but to accept the decision. That should have been turned that that should have been reversed a hundred years ago. Yeah. If they knew all that. Yeah. And so at the time it looked to most that Sullivan, Warner and Friedman had years earlier made a pact to deny allegations if it ever surfaced, yet can concocted a plan to stay to a certain motion if it ever did, and that's what you you were saying or saying, uh, Joe. Um, you know, everything happened so fast and neat. It surely looked like a well-planned cover-up. And like I said before, within one year, did all this. There was there's a lot of uh, backlash at Carlisle. Warner was gone from Carlisle, and Sullivan was dead. Which oh, after yeah, he he uh was in a plane, not a plane, but a uh, train crash in Indiana a year later and died from the injuries. And his his uh, wow. papers and records were quickly destroyed after his death. So that further kind of makes people think, you know, there's some kind of a cover-up that went on. So check this out, Mike. I mean, talk about trajectories of lives. I mean, uh you know, for, you know, football hero, uh, he went on to do things. But, I mean, this kind of stopped a trajectory of his life. Instead of being, you know, Olympic gold, gold medalist, I mean, he was still football hero. But, I mean, uh, one of the greatest tragedies, the, the, one of the – a picture I have of Jim Thorpe digging ditches in Los Angeles in 1931. Uh, so, you know, 19 years – after the Olympics, uh, Forbes digging ditches. I mean, 10 years asking this, he's yeah. the president of the NFL, but he's the president of the NFL as a figurehead. I mean, we know that. Jim, Jim Thorpe yeah. didn't know much about running the NFL. He was, he was there to legitimize the NFL because he was a name. Hey, right. what, what was he, two, two three years? And then he plays yeah. for the Oorang Indians. Uh, you know, this changed Jim Thorpe's life. I mean, it kind of took the wind out of his out of his sails, you know, to be honest, because you wrote a really good article about, you know, Jim Thorpe took the Olympics seriously. Everything else he didn't practice for, he didn't prepare for, but he took the Olympics seriously. He wanted to yeah. ask the woman he loved to marry him afterwards. So he went there. Right. He lost weight. There's a, a postcard you have uh, that we're going to get to in a little bit of him throwing the javelin where he is ripped. I mean, like, yeah. you know, like you don't like you don't see people back then, uh, you know, because people didn't go work out and stuff. So, the, you know, so to prepare for this, to win it, not just to win it, but to crush the competition, to get the gold, to have the king of Sweden say you're the greatest athlete in the world, and then to have all that pulled out from under him in a very short time afterwards, that took the wind out of his sails. That sent his life on a different tra- trajectory. Yes, and that is a perfect lead into me just finishing this up because of how he handled all this. You know, last last time we touched about how gracious Thorpe conducted himself towards others involved for the rest of his life, like not exposing other amateurs who he knew had played baseball, nor Warner, Sullivan, or Friedman, 
if they indeed knew. And only in private moments, moments did he reveal his hurt feelings. Now I'll close with two situations that exemplify how Thorpe handled himself and what surely had to have been a life-changing experience, which he just said, and it most certainly was. When a reporter asked him at his Giants contract signing about the prizes sent back, Jim said, there's nothing more to say about that. The quicker it is dropped, the more I will be pleased. It's something I no longer want to talk about. And then shortly afterwards, Thorpe's supporters took up a collection to replace all of his awards. But he, he rejected the money and asked that the money be given to charity. Now, my feeling, my personal feeling is that only those who are inherently honest and truthful in their heart are going to respond to adversity like that. So... Here we are 110 years later. It's a long time for the family to wait to receive, you know, receive vindication. But for the Ford Thor family, it finally did. And can be more than happy, just like I said last time. It, it's a, a perfect ending 110 years later for them. A little too late, but, yeah, you know, yeah, you, know you do what you can. Uh I don't know if you know the answer to this, but did Thorpe have an alcohol problem before all of this? Because we know that he had an alcohol problem. Sure. Did this, sure. Did this, did this lead him to that? Or No, he, he already yeah. had it. Okay. There, there's documentation of him all the way back in Oklahoma um, being uh, having an alcoholic problem. His dad was a bootlegger. Oh yeah, that's right. And so it you know, he, he grew up around it and uh he got in trouble many times drunk after ball games where uh warning he would get in uh arguments about it. So he already had it. <laughs> that's too bad. What was his dad's name? Har Harum? Harum? Yes, Hiram. Hiram? Okay. Yep. So we got, a shame. we got about 17 minutes left, so um, any more final thoughts, Mike, to wrap it up, and then let's get into a few pieces he picked up since the last time uh, you were on the year. Well, I think, I think that uh, pretty much sums it up. It's uh, um, a happy ending. It's long overdue. Yep. And uh, the only remaining mystery is where are those original gold medals? Yeah. Uh, we think Pop Warren went to his house and picked them up and took them somewhere. Did they ever make it back to Sweden? Did they, you know, where where did they end up? That that'd be the only thing. Yeah. No, I don't Great. think we'll ever know. Yeah. Really don't. Hmm. All right, let's let's switch gears. What have you picked up, Mike, since the last time you were on the show? And there's a couple of things I know you really want to talk about. Yeah. So let's move oh, into oh that. goodness. Um, I, <laughs> I know the biggest one that I could talk two days on was uh, 
four item collection from a uh, Thorpe Carlisle Oorang collector. Oh wow! And uh, wow. I posted that on the um, BFC site, you know, a year or so ago. And uh, man, there was a bunch, a bunch of items in that. And uh, several correspondences between the U-Ring Ball Club and the NFL I've added to the collection, and lots of photos and and memorabilia, postcards. You no, know, um, at the U.S. All Around, when he got back from the Olympics, I was I've been able to pick up three photos. I already had one, but I had was able to pick up three more regional photos, one where he was throwing the javelin and um, where he was running the 1,500 meters in the uh, decathlon, in the all-around. Yep. We, we called it the all-around. The Olympics called it the decathlon. And then uh, mm-hmm. one where he was pole vaulting. And these are uh, Bain, all Bane photos. So he must, Bane must have been there oh. in person taking a lot of photos. That picture that you took of him throwing the javelin where it says uh, Thorpe throwing, Thoring. I just noticed that. They misspelled it. Thorpe Thoring javelin. They must have uh, yeah. been on it. Uh, that, uh, that's him That's him at the tryouts, correct? Yeah, all around. He, <clears throat> on September 2nd, the, uh, 1912, there in the fall after he got back from the Olympics, they had the uh, all-around championships at Celtic got it. Park. And so that's of him at the all-around. You can tell between whether he's at the all-arounds or at the Olympics because at the Olympics he has a, his Olympic jersey on. Yeah. yeah. At and the all-around, the yeah. he has his car on. So even if you can't see the background, you can tell by what jersey and, and uh, shorts he is wearing. Interesting. But that, seriously, that picture, uh, that, but the first of the photo of the track team at Carlisle with uh, Thorpe in the back row, he was having a good hair day that day. Uh, but what a, what a great picture. <laughs> that would, what year you is know, that what I understand. There's only two of those that have surfaced. One is in the uh, Cumberland County Historical Society, and one's in my uh, museum here where I'm sitting. Mm. Nice. What year is that, do you think? 1911. Wow. Real good, solid photo of him. Yeah, look at that. Look at the difference in in his muscle structure from that, 1911. To a year later, him throwing the javelin. Yeah, he's just yeah. he's. I mean, yeah. you you can tell Thorpe took the Olympics seriously. So yes, um, you you didn't mention so that collection you picked up that must have been recently. No, that was uh, a little over a year ago. Yep. And I, then I that photo it. you. That yeah, photo of uh, Jim Thorpe, the baseball review, you know, of 1917 of him with that smile on his face. And it, it, this is an interesting subject, but I mean, you know, from 1917 where he's a, you know, a, a, you know, a skinny 
you know, physically fit young man, five years later, he's playing baseball and he looks, it literally looks middle-aged. Mm-hmm. A lot of, a yeah. lot of hard wear, you know, in five years. Yep. Yeah, that, that's a movie still of a, uh, a movie that no longer exists. You know, that, that old film just disintegrated, but I've, I've mm. seen, uh, I think uh, Hans and Cobb maybe was also in that film. I've seen uh, the same kind of movie promo photo from that film. Yeah, that's that, that's from uh, actual an actual film. Like ten years ago, I sent some photos in to get uh, to get validated. There's a and there's a guy who validates photos. Like one of them was. You've seen it. I have a picture of Thorpe on the ship on his way to the Olympics. And uh, yeah. you knew what the ship was. It was pretty cool. I'd never known the name of the ship until you mentioned it. Um, but they validated, the guy used this photo from 1917 of Thorpe playing baseball to validate that photo. And in it, in his description, he's like, you know, over people's life, a lot of things change, but their ears never change. And he started pointing out Thorpe's earlobes. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that is the reason, you know, he was able to validate the photo. It was pretty interesting. <laughs> you know, here's a thought. He's in a baseball uniform. Mm-hmm. And this is 1912. He's not with the Giants. Where did this baseball uniform come from? Is this from the East Carolina League that he kept? Oh. Yeah, he was out of the PCL. That was what year was PCL? Nineteen. Well, that was nineteen twenty-two. But this oh, was nineteen twelve Olympics. Yeah. Where did this baseball uniform he's wearing on the ship to the Olympics originate from? Is this left over from when he played in the East Carolina League? Huh. Good point. Never thought about that until about a week ago. Could that actually be from when he played, which cost him his amateur status? Look at mine. Uh, you, you caught me sitting at my desk. Let me let me look at my photo that I have of of that. That's a very good question. I never even thought about that. Uh, and I, yeah, I still haven't gotten that photo validated because I just never. Uh, I just, I never sent it in. I, I just still have the letter sitting at my desk. One of these days I'll I'm send looking that at in. one now. It's, uh, he's in a baseball uniform. Baseball pants and socks and. Brown Brothers, type two off. <laughs> Another one of him on the boat that I have a copy of. I'm sure you're the same. I have this, you know, Jim Thorpe folder. And whenever somebody throws something fascinating up, I throw it in the folder. At some point, I have a hard time discerning what's my stuff and what uh, what somebody else's. I just clicked on a photo of Thorpe on a boat and my cub. Okay, there's mine. Uh, looks like the same thing. He's wearing kind of the same stuff, same hat, same same hat clutched in his hand, same outfit. I think they just caught him at a different angle. He messed his hair. I'll, I'll send this to you. Uh, yeah. Kind of interesting. My photo has a, you know, a... No, I, I was in the Navy. They call them type type Z windows, which are the the, the heavy rated ones with gasket. The type of window you 
it has to be locked down to keep the water, the ship waterproof, uh, mm. or water, you know, floodproof. But he's got the same hat on, the same uniform on, same sweater on in both photos. And the copy of one I have is a Type 2 Authentic circa 1930s. Uh, it says Brown Brothers for some reason. Mm-hmm. Not sure why. Oh, interesting. I'll, I'll send you both copies when Bob puts this uh, link up in the VFC. Just interesting. You 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 have you have an amazing collection, you know, Mike. Seriously, it's impressive, and you manage to focus on one, you know, one amazing moment in history, you know, with Jim Thorpe, and uh, you know, it's it's important. I, I dig it. I get my hat to you. Well, thank you. Um, I guess the only real good card I've picked up is, I think I sent a photo of it. Is uh, SGC eight eight and a half grade of the fifty five All American card. I think I sent a photo of that. Hmm. It's a a photo. It's well, the card. looks real good. A photo of it or the actual card? Of course, I like to uh, get Tawana stuff also, when I, uh, especially if Thorpe and Tawana is together. And I um, picked up a postcard of Thorpe and Tawana in dress clothes. It was a photo op for the 1912 Olympics. I think I sent a photo of it. Yeah, I'm going through a moment. Most recently, that one where uh, he was in kicking pose and a new ring game against the uh, Minneapolis. That's probably my most most uh, recent big item that I was able to uh, fortunately be the uh, winner of. Oh, cool. I don't think you sent a copy of that, so that I'm not familiar with that one. Okay. I'll I'll post it later on uh, whenever you post the blog. Yep, I'll yep. post photos of them. And found one in Oklahoma City of him in dress clothes, um, a tie and suit on and everything. The postcard's not in the greatest of shape, but, you know, that being that old and uh, looks like you may just... You know, it's it's got to be uh, middle 1915s to early ni- um, 1920s, maybe. Oh, interesting. A very young Thorpe. You'll remember it. It's the one where you uh, kind of posted a uh, ex- expletive about it to me. <laughs> <laughs> You don't remember I that? I have to narrow that down. I I I, I use expletives like uh, some people weave tapestry. So uh, like drinking water. Huh? <laughs> I, for for Bob's sake, I have to really I have to really check my uh, you know check my my vocabulary on the on the podcast. <laughs> and uh, I said 1963 tops famous Americans three panel proof. Strip that has oh, yeah. uh, Thorpe, Alexander that's, Hamilton, and Richard Nixon on. Yeah, that's, that's a funny. 
pretty cool piece. It's All right, we funny. got about two. We got about two and a half Sorry minutes about. left. Um, okay. We could talk for about the, uh, talk for another hour. But uh, really, for premier item in your the premier item in your collection, Mike. Once again, would be out of everything you have of Thorpe, what would it be? You know, yeah. uh, I still have to uh, keep his uh, Indian chief writing tablet he received in 1904 when he mm-hmm. the uh, government issued tablet writing tablet they gave him when he first got there in 1904. You know, he's 16 years old, just a little yep. old, 135 pounds, five foot six, mighty might, and no one knows him. And he's not a, he hasn't become an athlete yet. That's still, you know, it personally belonged to him. That's that still got to be my top piece. I mean, I don't, I don't know if they can ever be replaced. And that is his actual notebook he had when he had Yes. Yes. Confirmed by his family here in Oklahoma. 110 years ago, Thorpe was carrying that around Carlisle, attending classes, you know, just being a, being a student. Yep. That, that's so interesting. Isn't it amazing? That's amazing. Truly amazing. Truly amazing. Well, Probably I, number two is his uh, um, citizenship papers. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. All right, we're, we're we're down to like a minute, so. Okay. I gotta gotta thank you again for being on, completing the story. It's just an amazing story and an amazing collection that you have, and um, I I really appreciate you spending the time and explaining it to our audience. It's truly a story that needs um, spoken more often, so people become educated on. Truly amazing. So, Mike, thanks for being on. I've enjoyed it. I got to cut you short because we're down to thirty seconds. Uh, Joe, there's not much I can hand off to you because I think we're probably more speechless this time (laughs) than the first time. That's listening to everything again. I I, I know it's uh, a a lot of information to digest, and just what what an incredible story. It's just truly. I'm uh, I'm amazed by it. That, that's that's all I can say. Truly amazed yeah. by it. Absolutely. All right, we're out of time. Thanks for listening. Hope we'll be back next week with another show. Until that time, we'll see you then. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, aka the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. 
Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.